This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast. You can get the podcast on all your podcast networks. It is Presented by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app and make your plays like I made this weekend. I cashed in on a couple of my Bet Rivers app. This is podcast number 32, Monday, December 12th. It is the day after another Eagle whoop it. And, and they whooped on the New York Giants yesterday. The game was, was so embarrassing. I mean, uh, I did a post game show at Ocean Casino. There are a bunch of people come down from New York to watch the game at the sports book with their Giants jerseys on. I, they're limped out of there. 48 to 22 whoop. It wasn't even that close. They scored an eight pointer uh, when the game was meaningless. And, and I have a, we have to go over a list of accomplishments in this game because they're as long as my arm. I was going to say something else, but I said arm. Uh, so so just, let's just take it a little at a time here, all right? So the, the Eagles now are 12-1, and one, and they clinched a playoff berth yesterday. Uh, not like they weren't going to clinch a playoff berth, so that, that's not as important uh, as some statistics that are about to follow. But the last time they were 12-1 and one was in 2004. Don, Donovan McNabb's squad uh, that obviously got to the Super Bowl. They went 13-1 and one that year. So next week against the Bears, they have a chance to tie that and continue this wonderful season. Uh, The Eagles are now averaging 30 points a game for the season. They scored 30 or more points in six consecutive games. They lead the NFL in points. They've scored 123 points in their last three games. And uh, if you look at the point differential, because we're talking about, well, what's better on this team, the offense or the defense? They lead the league in point differential. It's like plus 280 or something like that. Well, that means not only is our offense good, but the defense is good because the point differential has to include the defense. Uh, For the first time uh, after that game yesterday, I I was convinced that this team now has to be the NFC rep in the Super Bowl. 
And when I watch the quarterback play, I go, even if he plays just average the rest of the year, I believe he's done enough to be the MVP. He's in the top five, in many cases, the top three in almost every offensive category. Let's just go over what Jalen Hurts has done. 22 TD passes, 10 rushing touchdowns. Now, uh, A.J. Brown goes over 1,000 receiving yards. $100 million for the guy? Was it worth it? Yeah. Miles Sanders goes off yesterday, gets over the 1,000-yard mark, 17 for 144, including a scintillating late 40-yard scamper for a touchdown. With Hertz, those two skill players, A.J. and Miles Sanders, the Eagles have never had three players with 10 touchdowns. And they have it now with several games left. Um, the thing about this team is that they just are unfettered. They have now won nine in a row. They've won nine straight at Lincoln Financial Field. But th- it doesn't seem like this team is ever capable of slipping to a mediocre level, except the one game against the Commanders. I guess you could give them that. But every challenge they come in, people go, okay, Tennessee, that's going to be a tough game. No problem. The Giants, well, it's a division rival and it's up there. No problem. They go out and do what they need to do. I, I have never seen a team like this. And um, I, I, I know what it's been. Listen, 2017, they won a Super Bowl. 2004, they were great. I get it. I can't. I, and I'm saying this because I'm not a Yahoo. I, I, I say it what I feel. I think this is the best Eagle team ever. But why do I say that? I'm not, I'm not trying to be a super fan here. I'm looking at the depth that they have in players. Uh, I'm looking at the offensive line. I'm looking at the abundance of skill players, the, how well-rounded they are. They're doing all this without a tight end who's one of the best in the league. The running back has been solid. The offensive line has been solid. The two wide receivers are uncoverable. The tight end, when he gets it back in there, is going to give him another dimension. On defense, their rotation on their defensive line has never been this strong. Their linebackers, have you ever seen a pair of linebackers that have been playing better than these linebackers? Their linebackers usually stink. T.A.J. Edwards is probably the most unheralded player on this team. He just goes out and does what he has to do every week. Kazir White, the same thing. They're secondary. They're, they're missing a safe starting safety. They've been able to fill in. Now, we'll talk about Reed Blankenship because that was a tough uh, loss for them. He gets injured. The quarterbacks are excellent. Uh, the one weakness they had was the special teams. They seem to have buttoned that up in the last couple of weeks. Now, they're going to have to probably find a punter this week, but there's a lot of punters on the street. I don't know if that's that big of a deal, uh, but the special teams have improved. So, I don't know. We're going to have a discussion in a little bit uh, on how good this team is and, and whether they're the best team in Eagle history. I'm going to bring Darren in in a little bit. But uh, let, let, let's look at uh, the, what this team does. Um, they, they take the opening drive right down the field and score. And, and how many times have we seen that this year? They're like, okay. This, <laughs> and and what, what they realize is they look at the Giants and they go, the Giants can't cover a lick. And they take advantage of what the other team can't do. This is now three straight weeks. They go, this Giants team can't cover. They can't stop the run either. But I'll tell you what, our research and tape study reveals that we can throw against this team all day. So they come out and they throw against them and bang, they get a 7 nothing lead right out of the chute. Uh, the, the, the second drive is, is the drive where, uh, on a fourth down and, and seven at the 41, they go for it, right? Jalen Hurts checks to a play where, you know, it's not a safe play to throw it deep, but he, he sees single coverage. He checks to it. 
the safety gets over late. The safety's like what's like playing like an outfielder, waiting for it to catch the ball instead of making a play on the ball. And Devontae Smith just snatches it in the air. It goes for a TD, 14-0, 12 plays, 91 yards. Bang. Just like that, they they get up twenty-one to nothing after that goofy punter Jamie Gallon makes a, the mistake. I love punters, right? He panics, right? He loses the ball out of his hand. So he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. instead of picking it up and trying to do something with it, he tries to kick it after it hits the ground. That's an illegal play, dude. You lose it down, you get a ten-yard penalty. They 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 go in and score on that, and, and it's twenty-one to nothing, and. And the game's really over because you know the Giants don't have the type of offensive attack that's going to be able to get back in the game. Saquon Barkley's not 100%. When they couldn't run the ball, they couldn't control the ball. So 21 nothing gets like 40 to nothing to the Giants. Um, so 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 there you go. Uh, I, you know, I, I look at this game, and, and it's like when you do a post-game show, you want to pay attention to everything. I get bored. I get bored watching this team. They're up 20, 27 to seven. And, you know, it's funny when the Giants got so momentum, when they actually did score to make it 21 to seven, Boston Scott rattles off a 66 yard kickoff return. And there goes whatever momentum the Giants had right out the window. Now, the Giants did hold on that. So it's 24 7, and then it's 27 to 7. And then the Giants kind of get a touchdown. Like, you know, and then the Eagles uh, with, with a, another uh, TD drive to make it 35 to 14. By then, I'm out. I, I'm like, I'm. I'm sampling the, the the food that we have there in the green room, and I, I guess that's what what just happened. You know, you, you, you just chew it on uh, on hamburger sliders, and because you know it's just a uh, a foregone conclusion that that the Eagles are going to win this game. So, uh, all right, Blankenship looks like he's got a serious injury, and the people were saying after the game that it looks like an ACL. So that means Kayvon Wallace is going to have to come in and play that safety position. He's not great. He got sucked into another play yesterday when he was in there. Uh, I, I, I was looking at this Eagle team. Like, most of the guys they put in there to uh, compensate for injuries, like Avante Maddox, they got good mileage out of guys. They, they've gotten good mileage out of Epps and Josiah Scott and guys like that. Maybe, maybe the, the greatness of this defense will absorb Kayvon Wallace for the next couple games until – uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson can actually get back on the field. So I look at that as a minor detail, and having to get a punter is another minor detail. Lane Johnson tweaked his abdominals. Maybe he doesn't play next week as they're a 10-point favorite against the Bears. Uh, I want to bring Darren in, producer Darren. I, 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 uh, I want to have a discussion here, Darren, about whether this team is the best team that we've seen wear the Eagles uniform. What do you think? Well, uh, well, first of all, two quick punter comments because we talked all about the punter. Mm-hmm. One, I think it's cute that you, you think they're going to need a punter against Chicago. They are not yeah. going to even need a punter. Well, they're going to have to sign one is the, is the point. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> Just have to kick and pump the one time they might need a punter. Uh, the, <laughs> the other thing is that the Giants punter, look, there's maybe, I don't know, five, 600 rules that are involved with the game of football overall at the pro level, maybe more, maybe less. There's a lot. As a punter, you, you there's like four that you need to know. And one of them is if you drop the ball, you have to have, gain possession of it before you can punt it again. The fact that he didn't know that rule blows me away. All right, so those are my punting comments for the day. All right, let's, hold, let's, let's hold that thought because I want to add something to this. Okay. Um, uh, a guy capable of making such a I'm scared to death play like that 
should should not be allowed to have that kind of long hair. <laughs> All right. This guy, this guy walks around like a rock star with this long hair. He's a freaking punter. That offends me from the jump. But when you make a play like that, if I'm a real football player in that locker room, I, I duck to take him to a chair and I get the clippers out and I shorn that dude. All right. I'll, I'll tell you that right away. That's like ridiculous that that guy making a play like that is allowed to have long hair like he's a rock star. All right. Now, let, okay. let's get back to the discussion on whether this is the best team that, that, that they've had. So I'll tell you, I can't say that for a number of reasons. Number one, they haven't won the Super Bowl yet. Uh, number two, uh, the league is at, in my opinion, the, the NFL as a whole, and we've talked about this before, is a really bad product right now. I don't remember the league overall being this weak. There's maybe seven teams that can play, five or six really good ones. The rest is absolute dreck. The quarterback position o- overall throughout the league is at an all-time low. I can probably count on one and maybe half another hand how many quarterbacks can really play in this league right now. Offensive lines throughout the league are at an all-time low, I think. Defensive – I mean, it's just – there are two, so, so many terrible rosters top to bottom. And to me, that's why – I mean, I, I guess the Eagles are good. They're the best team in football. But – the competition overall throughout the league right now is just weak. All right, listen, I, I can buy that. Uh, and and uh, see, to me, I'm, I'm evaluating them right now, so I understand that they would have to win a Super Bowl. But I, I'm just looking at the depth of the team, and, and I'm trying to compare when they've had this kind of depth at various positions. I, I don't think I've ever seen such a well-rounded offense. I don't think I've ever seen such a well-rounded defense. So from that standpoint, it, 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 you know, I know you want to put the – in the equipment. They really don't. They don't have a hole. They don't have holes. There's, there's really, there's no, there's no unit on the team where you worry about. Yeah, we worry about special teams. They put some starters in there now, and, and you know, they've shored that up as well. So I agree with you there. There's really no holes in this. Team. And and the coaching has been exceptional. Uh, the offense coordinator has been pretty good. Uh, Sirianni has, has uh, you know, kind of uh, evolved from from the Happy Harry thing into to a really uh, good NFL coach. Uh, uh, the, the offensive line coach is a stud, and uh, you know, I, it, I I don't know, man. It's just it's just so, so hard to believe that they could be so dominant, and uh, it's a pretty good ride. Now, just a couple tidbits. Uh, AJ uh, going over 1,000 yards. That's the first time they've had a receiver over 1,000 since Jeremy Macklin. And uh, Miles going over 1,000. That's the first time they've been able to do that since Shady McCoy. And I saw a little bit of Shady in Miles Sanders. The one thing I'm seeing about Miles Sanders, and I don't know if he's going to be around next year because there, there's a salary cap situation. Running backs kind of, you know, they, they don't pay them. And they think they can move on. But he made a couple jump shady jump cuts yesterday. He's learned to be patient like Shady in the hole. And, you know, he used to so, uh, go wide all the time. And now he's kind of like using his feet in the hole and you know, delaying and then going. And uh, he's he's evolved just like Jalen Hurts has evolved. So, I, I mean, I, I just uh, love the way this team is playing. They're not going to be challenged next week. That team is dreadful. Uh, but but here comes the Dallas Cowboys, and, and we got to look at the situation here because uh, the Cowboys have scored a lot of points also. Their point differential is comparable to the Eagles. Um, so that game in Dallas could be a loss. And I'm looking at it like I don't care if it's a loss because – 
if they have to play them in the first game of the playoffs here, then that would have been they, – they beat them with Cooper Rush. They lost him with Dak Prescott. But now Dak ha- has to come back and beat him in Philly. It, to beat a team three times uh, would be tougher for me than if they lost this game uh, and then Dallas would have to come here for a playoff game. Your thoughts? I'm not worried at all about the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not. I'm really not. The Eagles are 10 to 12 points better than them on a bad day. That's how I feel <laughs> I about that's, that team. That's, they are. That's, that's crazy. That's I'm crazy. telling you. They're 10 to 12 better points better for them on a bad day. Stop it. Who's going to be? They won receiver. That's, set, that's, that's, that's five beers in at a bar, what you just said, that comment. That's like over-the-top comment. I don't worry about it. They're 10 points better than that team, the Eagles. Ten points better than I can. Now you're down to ten. That way we continue the conversation. It'll be eight and then six. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't worry about them. You worry about them. I'm not worried about them. No, I, I don't worry about them. I'm just saying that that's a tough opponent for the first game in your playoffs. That and we'll get to the playoff structure in a minute. But that's who they're going to play if they come. They come off a bye. Well, well, now, for one if if they beat them in this game coming up. That they would have have to have beat him three times in a row, which is that's hard to beat a team three times in a row. But look, hold on, we're gonna go oh, real fast. We'll do this quick. I'm gonna look at Dallas. I'm gonna look at the Eagles. All right, I'm gonna give you reasons why I don't worry about them. Because here's the Dallas strengths: Ceedee Lamb, Marcus Pollard, Tony Pollard, yes. Tony Pollard, whatever the hell his first name is. Pollard. There's nothing. There's nobody on that offense that I worry about defensively. Yes, Michael Parsons is the best defensive player alive. But we've got the best offensive line in football. I'm not worried about it. The Eagles win by 10. Merry Christmas, get the eggnog out. All right, okay. Now, this is a team that rung 50 up against the Minnesota Vikings. So, they're not, I, I, I give them more respect than you're giving them. And I think your cowboy hate is getting involved in this type of situation. They stand, get the eggnog ready. It's going to be a Merry Christmas 10-point win. In Dallas. All right. Okay. Now, the only thing I fear, you got to beat him three times in a row if that happens. So, uh, uh, I beat him by 14. Right, let, let's look at another scenario because the 49ers are pretty good. Their defense is relentless. Uh, so, you know, if, if the Eagles are advancing, pre- pretty much to San Francisco 49ers might uh, be their uh, opponent for the NFC title, but that game would be in Philly also. So, how do you feel about the 49ers right now with Brock Purdy as the quarterback? That's a defense that I worry about. The, the Niners are definitely a defense I worry about. They're, all three units are, are strong. Um, that said, you know, I don't worry about anybody as a whole coming into – there's no team coming to the link and winning in the post, in January. No team. Not in the NFC. Sorry. You're not going to tell me that Brock Purdy – he played well yesterday, but the Bucks are done. They're cooked. Half the team's injured. Uh, and Brady really looked his age yesterday. Mike Evans looks yeah. old all of a sudden. Um, so anybody would have beaten that team big time yesterday. They weren't ready to play. As a whole, and then Debo Samuel got hurt. I don't know how what that injury is. I don't think they've made any announcement yet. If Debo's not playing, they're not. Uh, high ankle sprain, it looks like. Uh, indications are high ankle sprain, so that's several weeks. Uh, but uh, that, that, he should be back for the playoffs, I'm guessing. It's the Mike Yosinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Oh, it's big guest time here on the Mike Yosinelli Podcast, and we're fortunate enough today to land one of the great columnists in the city. And, and he's got a great resume, first of all. Let me let me introduce you. He's the author of two books, including his latest, The, the Rise, the story of Kobe Bryant's early years. Uh, he is a, a regular Philadelphia uh, Inquirer columnist. I, and frankly, I don't know how he does all this stuff, but let's welcome in 
Uh, he, the great Mike Sealski. Hello, Mike. Mike, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on, and I, I want to obviously get into your career and and uh, the evolution of a career, which I think is always an interesting story uh, for aspiring journalists that may be listening to this. But let's let's talk about uh, the the major uh, issue that's going on right now in this city, which is uh, this could be possibly a Super Bowl year. I mean, I I didn't believe it, but they're twelve and one now, and they're clearly the best team in the in the NFC. So, uh, from from your viewpoint, what do we have here? Uh, you have the best and worst of all scenarios at the same time. I feel like Mike best. If you're an Eagles fan is that obviously the team is 12 and one. They've just destroyed the Titans and the giants the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, really no contest in either game. There doesn't, they don't seem to have a weakness, right? I mean, we were so worried for so long about the special teams. And with the exception of that block punt yesterday, they were great yesterday. Uh, they were great the week before that. They seem to have tightened things up. Their defense gets after the quarterback. The offense can play any way it needs to play. This is all wonderful. The downside of that is this is exactly the kind of scenario that drives Philadelphia sports fans crazy. And you know this, right? Fans in this town don't like to be favorites. It, it brings up memories of the 2011 Phillies and the 2002 Eagles. And all those years, the Flyers had Eric Lindros and were supposed to win the Stanley Cup. People here are constantly looking to the sky for the anvil that's going to fall on their heads. And so while it's great that the Eagles are this great, uh, I just I feel for the fans who might be thinking, "Uh oh, when is the you know, when is the bad time coming around? Just because we've been conditioned to think that way for so long. Yeah, you raise a good point about that, and we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I, here's the difference. You know, we've both seen Eagle teams for for a lot of years, and we've seen good teams. We've seen some bad teams. Uh, I have never seen a team that um, does not allow for any slippage. Like I look around the NFL, and even good teams have a really bad uh, Sunday afternoon or, or whatever. And, and this team doesn't seem to have that, except for the you know the Washington Commanders game. They they just go about their business, and I've, I haven't never seen anything like it. They they uh, when you look like there'll be a trouble spot game, it's never a trouble spot game. They they do what needs to be done to win. They they lead the league in points scored, uh, and they never have a fallback. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's it calls to mind twenty seventeen and the Super Bowl run. It calls to mind two thousand four uh, and getting to the Super Bowl and losing to the Patriots the first time around. Uh, you're right. I think it comes down to basically very simply their offensive and defensive lines. They are so good uh, in both of those areas. And those areas are so important. Uh, it's not as if their offensive line can just run block, you know, Jalen hurts a couple of weeks in particular stands back there and can, you know, brush his teeth for all he, if he wanted to, and then still find AJ Brown or Devonte Smith or one of the tight ends. I mean, they haven't missed a beat without Dallas Goddard. That was going to be a really worrisome thing that they didn't have Goddard in this offense and it hasn't affected them. Uh, and then you go to the other side of the ball and with what Howie Roseman did and adding depth along the defensive line, it's allowed guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham to kind of, because they're on the field less, they're better when they're on the field. I mean, Brandon Graham had three sacks yesterday against the Giants has looked great coming off of an Achilles injury. And so now that they have Jordan Davis back too, they can rotate these guys and Hassan Reddick has double digit 
budget sacks. Th those two areas, I think, are what you're getting at, Mike. That's why there hasn't been the slippage is because they are so good in those areas. Yeah, and, and so on that note, and, and you know, we we watched the game yesterday. I did the post game show, and, and for the first time, I, I I just looked at the team and I said, this this is probably the best team all around that I've seen. And I know they they haven't really been tested by great opponents, but the depth that they have, the the linebacker play is so much better than it used to be. You're right about the lines. Their their offensive weapons that they have all of those covered. Their depth on the defensive line is tremendous, and their secondary is great. Uh, I, and I think okay, they, they, there's been some good teams here. This probably is the most complete team when you factor in the quarterback's growth from question mark to MVP candidate. I mean, you know, am I am I going too far here? I don't think you are, Mike. Uh, I really don't, and and it stuns me that we're talking about this team in that regard because, you know, think back to training camp. I think the expectation most common expectation was they're going to be really good. They should be a playoff team. If things break right and, you know, this this other team in the NFC isn't quite as good as they thought or there's some injuries, hey, maybe they could make the Super Bowl. But the idea that they'd be 12-1 and one and demolishing teams in the way that they have, I don't think anybody expected. And I think your point about Jalen Hurts is right on the money, both from the standpoint of how much he has improved and the fact that he has improved at the salary that he's at, right? He's costing less than $2 million under the cap. It allowed them to go out and get Reddick, get A.J. Brown, make these improvements. Uh, Howie Roseman drafted better in recent years, so you have guys like Jordan Maialata, who was able to, to take over at left tackle. I mean, Mike, they drafted a guy who was supposed to be their left tackle of the future, and he doesn't play. Andre Diller does not see the field unless somebody gets hurt in front of him, and that's – that's a testament to where this team is at. It's really remarkable. All right, so Mike, there were a couple of situations in that game last night that uh, I, I don't know. I think illustrates the growth of the kid. And the one was uh, early in the game where he converted a third down uh, with the throw to Quez Watkins, a dime uh, on an out, sort of. Uh, and uh, there was a guy coming right in his face. Now, I, I, I really had not seen that that type of play by him, and, and he makes it. And then uh, on the sidelines, when when they were just crushing the Giants and uh, the, the wide receivers were having a little fun about it, um, Quez is yucking it up with the thing uh, off his hand, fingertips, and A.J. Brown uh, is yucking it up, and Devontae's next to him, and, and Jalen's just like stone silent, stoically, just not even paying attention to what those guys were doing. And I, I think, you know, sometimes I think the guy is too serious about himself, but apparently that's the way he best functions. So what were your, your two uh, views on those things? Yeah, you know, the, the throw that you're talking about is, I think, from yesterday at least, the best illustration of the improvement that he's made. You know, I, I actually wrote this column in the preseason that got a lot of pushback. If you remember, there was that first preseason game against the Jets where he took that hit out of bounds that was, you know, really kind of a dirty hit from a Jets linebacker safety or something like that. And I was critical of Jalen on the play because I thought he set himself up for a hit like that. He left the pocket too early and I wanted him to show that he could stay in the pocket and make a throw downfield instead of bailing out early. Well, fast forward all these weeks later and you can see his willingness to stay in the pocket and make a really tough throw on third down. Uh, and as far as his personality goes, look, this guy is reading from the Nick Saban playbook. You know, I mean, as far as he's concerned, all of us in the media are what he calls rat poison, right? We can only hurt him. He's he's not there to joke around. He's not there to yuck it up with us. 
it's not like we're talking to Brandon Graham or Jason Kelsey who are kind of relaxed and, you know, are familiar with the people in the media. He is just, you know, stoic all the time, whether he's dealing with us or whether he's dealing with his teammates during a game. And I think it's one of the things that makes him really appealing and really effective as a quarterback. He's all business. And I think that permeates down to the rest of the team. And that may come from being coached by his father and, and his father not being put, putting up with that kind of thing. And he, he learned football in a, in a different way than, than a lot of guys do. But uh, whatever it is, it, it's working. So so let's look now at, at the prospects because there's a few games left and next week's not going to be a challenge. They're, God, they're going to be 10-point favorites on the road uh, against the Bears. And so the, the what looms is the Christmas Eve game to, uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, uh, I don't know how much that means because they're still going to be the number one seed in the NFC. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Cowboys won that game. But in the overall scope of things, should the Eagles be the, the well, from what we know now about them, should they be the NFC represent, uh, representative in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think that they crossed that threshold last week against the Titans. And I, I wrote as much in the Inquirer. You know, they went from being a team that could get to the Super Bowl to a team that should get to the Super Bowl, that the expectations changed in that moment. Because, look, we were all looking at that game and saying this is going to be their toughest test of the season. Tennessee's really tough. It's got Derrick Henry. He can run the ball. Eagles struggle to stop the run. And they just demolished the Titans. And now you're looking at a stretch here. They're in the midst of this stretch where we thought going into it, oh, my gosh, look at these running backs that they're going to be facing. And they're going to give up all this rushing yardage and not be able to stop these teams. And they've been great against the run for the last three or four weeks. And you're talking about Saquon Barkley and Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor from the Colts. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, even if they lose to Dallas on Christmas Eve, which, as you said, is a possibility, uh, they should be the favorite to come out of the NFC. They're, they're in all likelihood going to get home field. You only got to win two games at the link to get to the Super Bowl. They should be the team coming out of this conference, you know, heading to Glendale in February. And, and hence – the the expectations and if they don't do that now what would happen with this this town has kind of gingerly come along come along come along and once they're convinced that they should be in the super bowl and if it doesn't happen uh you know what's going to happen in this town yeah it's it's going to be rough i don't i don't think it would be quite as bad maybe i'm wrong about this i don't think it would be quite as bad as as 2002 or 2003 only because the quarterback of that team was Donovan McNabb, and who was the number two overall pick in the draft. And the expectation was that they were supposed to get to the Super Bowl with Donovan as their quarterback. That was why they had drafted him. They had been building, building, building over three or four years to that. This run kind of, in a way, kind of came out of nowhere, right? They, they, we thought they'd be good. We didn't think they'd be this good. But it would still be rough. I <laughs> think you're absolutely right. It would still be really rough. So here's the dynamic and the playoff situation. You look at the contenders that could possibly like San Francisco is the hot team now, depending on what's going on with Debo Samuel, their defense is murder, but they have to come all the way here to play that game. And uh, interestingly enough, the Eagles get the bye. Their first game is likely against the Dallas Cowboys. And, and that would be here as well, but that would mean they will have, uh, you almost want them to lose this game because you can't imagine <laughs> it beating Dallas three times in a row. Right. Right. Yeah. So, no, I, I think you're right. Yeah. So, so could could either of those teams come to Philly and win the Dallas Cowboys in a playoff situation or the San Francisco 49ers? I would give Dallas a better shot because of their quarterback situation. Um, I, I, you know, 
the 49ers would make me nervous too because of their defense and their physicality and all those things. But uh, as you said, coming all the way to the East Coast, you got an inexperienced quarterback now. I know we tore up the Buccaneers yesterday and they tore up the Buccaneers, but you know, Dak would make me a little more nervous uh, than a seventh round pick. And you're right. The idea of them beating the Cowboys three times in a row, I would wonder if their luck might run out um, just, just in terms of, you know, the odds and things like that. But again, we're, we're playing this game. We're like, we're looking for scenarios where they could lose a game. And the challenging part of it is, look, they had their worst, the worst quality of game they played all year was against Washington in the game that they lost, you know, turnovers, mistakes, things like that. And they still would have won that game if Quez Watkins doesn't fumble while he's on his way for the go-ahead touchdown and a deep pass from Jalen Hurts. Like, that, that game was so uncharacteristic of how they've played all season that it would take a repeat performance of that for them to lose to anybody in the NFC, I think. So would Dallas and San Francisco pose challenges? Of course, you're going to get challenged in the playoffs. But you would still go into this, those games thinking the Eagles should, should beat these teams. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, Mike Steelski's career here because you, you, we kind of followed a similar path in, in how we we rose up in in journalism. We st- we were we were both schlepping sidelines at high school games, and then it, it kind of escalates into a, a really big job. And of course, you went to the Wall Street Journal, and then became uh, the columnist here at the Inquirer, which I know is a, a dream position for you. Um, I, I, people do not realize how difficult it is to be a columnist, uh, and especially and uh, writing a book while you're being a columnist so uh d- describe to me uh, how, how prolific you've gotten and how difficult that is to be prolific to write constantly and to come up with entertaining ideas that uh for for a, a, a column a couple times a week two three times a week well this will be the worst thing i say during this podcast mike the pandemic helped the pandemic was great it, to, for me in this sense Sports went away in March of 2020, and I had gotten the idea for the book about Kobe, and once sports went away, I moved into kind of a different position at the Inquirer. I wasn't writing nearly as frequently. They kind of moved me out of the columnist position for a while just because they needed to readjust some things, and so I was able to devote a lot of time to working on the book and doing the research into Kobe and things like that, and then when sports came back, you know, I was able to kind of juggle both, and you know, I'm a native of the area just like you are. And I come into the position of, of writing columns at the Inquirer with this base of institutional knowledge about the teams here and the history here that I think you have to have. So, you know, I'm able, I think, when I watch a game or see a development in Philadelphia sports to say, oh, this is similar to this thing that happened in the 90s or the 80s or even the 60s or 70s that I've been reading up on all my life. Uh, and so in, in juggling writing a book, and I wrote a, and narrated a podcast about Kobe and doing the radio and, and writing the column, I have a built-in advantage in being a native of the area and, that I wouldn't have if I were work, still working in New York or if I were working in any other market in the country. And it's a, it's a big advantage. Uh, the book, first of all, the book's fantastic. It's called Thanks. The Rise, and it's uh, about the uh, the early days of, of Kobe Bryant. But uh, you know, the research you had to do on that is, is a tremendous amount of research. How how how, ma- how many years did you spend researching this book? <laughs> uh, about a year. I, it, it took me a year from the time I got the idea to the time I finished the manuscript. Now, I'll tell you a quick story that really really helped. 
and you know this because you were at the Enquirer in the mid '90s. You know, you you were intimately familiar with Kobe's rise at Lower Marion at the time. So, to make a very long story short, Kobe had a confidant, a, a buddy of his named Jeremy Treatman, who I know you know, who went from stringing for the Enquirer in the '90s and covering Kobe for the Enquirer to actually acting as kind of his media relations rep during Kobe's senior year, when when attention really started to get paid to what Kobe was doing at Lower Marion. So Kobe and Jeremy tried to collaborate on a book about Kobe's jump from Lower Marion directly to the NBA. And so Jeremy had done a bunch of interviews with Kobe at that time, and the project fell through. They couldn't get, the, they couldn't get a publisher, couldn't do it. So Jeremy kind of put it to the side for all these years. Now, I've been friends with Jeremy for a quarter century. And when I got the idea for this book about Kobe, kind of his origin story, I reached out to Jeremy, and he was very gracious and willing to help me. But he said, you know, Mike, I had, I had all these tapes of these interviews with Kobe, and I don't know what happened to him. I can't find him. So I'm working on this book. I start working on it in basically April of 2020. It gets to be December 22nd of 2020. I am two months out from my manuscript deadline. I have two months to finish the book. Jeremy calls me up at 8 o'clock on the night of December 22nd, 2020. He's been cleaning out his garage because he's moving from his townhouse in Maniunk to Boca Raton, Florida. And he says, Mike, I found the tapes. So the next day I drive from my house in Bucks County to Maniunk. Jeremy hands me a giant Ziploc bag full of 20 micro cassettes of interviews that he did with Kobe back in 1996, 1997, that nobody's ever heard before. It's Kobe talking about uh, his first season with the Lakers, how much he hated Del Harris, his first coach there. It's Kobe talking about his senior year and why he decided to go straight to the NBA. It's Kobe talking about his relationship with his mom and dad, about taking Brandy to the senior prom. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is treasure trove of stuff. And so I got an extra month on the deadline of the book because my publisher was like, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta be able to weave this stuff in there. And I was able to take that material and weave it into the manuscript and it made it much more intimate, much more detailed. And that was on top of all the research I had done, talking to people and going back through old archives. I went to the Lower Marion Historical Society, all kinds of stuff. So I really have Jeremy Treatman and Greg Downer, Kobe's coach, really to thank for for making the project as successful as it's been. Wow, that, that's an amazing story. Uh, so so let's uh, I want to get to your, your life as a columnist and, and the, the, uh, the, the P's and Q's of that. But 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 first, you were kind of a reluctant journalist. If, if I if recall at LaSalle, you didn't really know you don't want to really write for the school paper. So so what what was the trigger that you wanted to do this for a living? Well, I knew I wanted to do something in sports media heading into college. I just didn't know what. And uh, my freshman year, I got asked to be, I was writing for the student paper. I was thinking about quitting. I was pledging a fraternity. And the sports editor of the student paper at LaSalle was like, hey, do you want to take over for me? I'm leaving. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, come on, man, you're the fourth person I've asked already. And I'm like, well, the hell with you, man. I'm taking the job and I'm going to show you what I can do. And, uh, and I started writing for the student paper and I realized I really loved writing. I liked the feeling it gave me of writing, of being finished with writing something and having people respond positively to it. And I ended up writing to your old colleague at the Enquirer, Bill Lyon. I wrote him a letter uh, asking for some advice. And as it turned out, he didn't write me back. He actually looked my name up in directory assistance and called me. And ended up inviting me to shadow him to a Phillies Dodgers game on a Friday night. Wow. So, and it was the, you might remember this game. It was Hideo Nomo's debut 
against the Phillies at Veterans Stadium. So I'm there in the clubhouse before the game. I get to meet Jim Fergosi and Larry Boa and Jim Eisenreich and Darren Dalton. And I get to meet Ray Dittinger and Sam Dinellon and Jason Stark and Phil Sheridan and all these people who I'd grown up reading in the Inquirer. Uh, and it's just this amazing night. And that's when I knew what I wanted to do. Wow. That's a great story. That's really generous of Bill to do that. I know he's yeah. done that in the past with a, with a lot of people. All right, so let's fast forward now as a columnist. Again, I, I'm amazed at columnists. I'm amazed that you, because you're constantly under the gun to come up with something fresh, and you don't want to mail in stories. And uh, so that's a pressure that like, I always said that being a beat writer and being a columnist are two hardest jobs in America. Because you're just constantly under the gun. You just have to produce. So I'm curious to know how you go through that process. I try very hard um, to do the same measure of legwork, or at least as, as much as I can, in writing my columns that a beat writer would do. You know, I, I want to make sure I know what's going on. I don't want to write something just off the top of my head or try to hot take it or something like that. Um, there's... In today's day and age, and again, you know this from being a talk show host, from being a writer, you can tell the difference between somebody who puts in the work and somebody who doesn't. And I never wanted to be somebody who could be accused of not putting in the work. So uh, I try to show up as much as I can. I try to report my columns as best I can. And when it comes to ideas, I'm trying to look at things in a way that challenges people's uh, viewpoints on things. I'm not writing something that I don't believe just for the sake of writing something to get a reaction, but I do want to make people think. And so, for instance, I wrote the other day about Joel Embiid. Now, Joel Embiid is a great player for the Sixers and just had 53 points last night in a dominant performance. But I feel like and I, that there's more there to be extracted from Joel, that he's kind of this notch below guys like LeBron in his prime or Kobe in his prime or Steph Curry and Giannis right now. And I wanted to kind of try to frame a, a column around that. And so you get some people who think you're a hater because you're writing a uh, quote unquote negative column about Joel Embiid. But I do want to make people think like, you know, why is it this team can't get past the second round of the playoffs with a player like this? Is it just because of the shortcomings around Joel Embiid? Yeah, that's part of it. But I also think there's something else going on there. And that's the kind of thing you're, you, you, I think you're getting at. Like you want yeah. a fresh opinion in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did in sports talk radio. If they ever made the transition, I wanted people to think that there, maybe there's another side of this and it, because I think it makes for a better conversation, but that you have taken a lot of heat for that. And, and one of the things I admire about you, you're not afraid to push an envelope to me. Like journalism has gotten a little softer. I, I don't like that. I grew up with the Stan Hockman's of the world where they, you know, they just went right at it, you know? And, uh, uh, so uh, when you do this, you know you're going to take heat. How, how do you handle that? Well, when it comes when that heat comes on Twitter, uh, you're going to get heat no matter what on Twitter. It's just the nature of Twitter and social media. And I try to be very self-deprecating about it. Um, you really do a good job with that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I do the exact opposite. I go flying back in people. And you're, <laughs> you're, you're so cool about it. Well, you know what, Mike? It's, it's kind of a nifty judo move to make, you know, to kind of take all that anger that people have and just kind of use it against themselves. Um, because there's, there's bigger fish to fry. Look, I'm, I'm married with two young kids. I got things to worry about other than somebody railing at me on social media. And so, you know, 
dealing being dealing dealing with being a dad and a and a husband and a friend and all those things it helps keep things in perspective it really does um but you know i think you're right about the softness i remember coming back to the to the philly market in 2013 and feeling like oh man it's really kind of negative here i forgot how negative it is in philly with talk radio and social media and things like that and i feel like gradually over the last 9 years it's kind of flipped where the the scrutiny that you and I and other talk show hosts and journalists in town were kind of accustomed to in the market has has decreased over time. So that somebody like me or you stands out more for being willing to say, hey, this isn't all great here. And you need to look at this from kind of a uh, a more skeptical angle. And I think part of that is just the way media has changed over time. There's the rise of fan websites and the presumption on social media that you're kind of along for the ride, that we're all we're all in this together to kind of make sure that the Eagles are doing well. We all want to see the Eagles do well or the Phillies do well. And I tell people all the time, like, look, I put my head on the pillow at night, whether the Eagles win or lose, whether the Phillies lose to the Astros in the World Series or not. Like, I'm interested in covering good stories and writing good columns. And if that means the Phillies lose because Rob Thompson makes a decision in game six he shouldn't have made, by taking Zach Wheeler out, I'm okay with that because it gives me something to sink my teeth into to write about. Um, and I'd rather have that than just kind of go along for the ride as, yay, team. I'm not, I'm not into it for the, for the pom-poms. No, you're right. You have to follow your heart and your truth the way you're going to write and not give a fuck. Yeah, that, that, you, that you you carried away, and one of the guys who used to do that better than anybody was my good friend Bob Ford. He he never gave a fuck about yeah. anything, about anything. The funniest writer I have ever, one of the two funniest writers I've ever worked with. I also worked with Jason Gay at the Wall Street Journal, who's hilarious. But Bob could make me laugh like nobody else in in the history of Philadelphia writing. I think. He, he was so sarcastic and so sardonic. It, it was, uh, and I miss him. I, you know, I correspond with him uh, every now and then. Um, so, uh, uh, so let's talk about now where where you want to take this. Is this is this the dream job? You know, the newspapers have changed, and uh, a lot of people have have gotten out of it. And they, I mean, the hiring process anymore. We had to go through minefields to get to a job like at, at the Wall Street Journal or the Inquirer. But you know, they're hiring kids out of college anymore with not a pedigree to be a major city news paper uh, writer. How, how do you feel about where the, the directions of, uh, of the newspaper industry is going? I mean, not great. I mean, you can't feel great about it. Um, you know, with the exception of certain places like the New York Times or the Journal or the Washington Post, uh, everybody's kind of hanging on for dear life to one degree or another. I think the ownership structure at the Inquirer helps in that we're kind of a nonprofit, so to speak, um, you know, through our ownership by the Lenfest Foundation. But the good part about the Inquirer, as far as I'm concerned, is they let me do my job the way I want to do it. Now, having said that, I really enjoyed writing the Kobe book, and I'm on I'm, I'm in the midst of working on another another book as we speak. Um, I've got I wrote uh, and narrated a podcast called I Am Kobe, this 12 part narrative podcast where we took those tapes that we talked about with Kobe and turned them into a podcast, and I enjoyed that. Um, and I'm open to branching into other sorts of things because I think you have to, you know, what WIP doing the weekend shift now with Glenn Mack now on Saturdays, the way I look at it in this day and age, Mike is I'm sitting on a chair and if one of the legs gets sawed out from under me, I don't want the chair to fall over. So I'm certainly not putting all my eggs in any one basket. And so it's kind of the, the reality of 
the media landscape in the 21st century nowadays. You have to hustle. You have to be willing to try different things and be versatile enough to to risk succeeding or failing in those different things. Yeah, and yeah, uh, a lot of people know that you're the you you came in for Ray Dinger who who left to be with Glenn on that show, and that that's not easy to, to follow Ray in, in that kind of position. It's like you know being a middle reliever like Nick uh, following Zach Wheeler's beautiful <laughs> start, you know. Uh, so you you can is there pressure in that? Glenn has made it very very easy, and I the, the one thing I keep telling myself is. Don't try to be Ray. Just try to be yourself. Just be yourself. You know, I can't be Ray. Every single show I do with Glenn on Saturday from 10 to 1, we get at least one caller or somebody on Twitter saying, boy, I miss Ray Dittinger and Sealski stinks. And that's fine. Like, I'm going to get that. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, I can't. I'm not trying to replace Ray. I'm just trying to do the best kind of show that I can. And Glenn has been great in that regard. Uh, he's made things very easy for me. We had known each other for a while before uh, I stepped in uh, and started doing the show with him. So I, I've been very happy with how it's going and the feedback in general has been really good. That That's awesome. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, let's talk about now that you're sometimes the, 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 you've gotten in trouble and I love your columns on the flyers because you're not holding back. I've never seen a more disgraceful situation for a major market team to fall off a cliff like this. And I don't understand like you, how the general manager keeps his job, but you've taken a lot of heat whenever you write a flyers column. I don't know about now. I think that the fan base is just so disgusted with it that maybe they don't have the same reaction. But of course the story co- conflict with, uh, with Jake Voracek where, uh, you know, in a live press conference, he kind of told you to fuck off, but yeah. like, what, 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 unpeel all that for me. Sure. Um, so with respect to the, the Voracek situation, I had written a column uh, in like 2019 in which I basically wrote that um, Voracek and Claude Giroux and James Van Riemsdyk were getting called out by Elaine Vigneault, the coach at the time, for that basically he was saying that they needed he needed more from those three guys. And there was a misunderstanding kind of tied to it. Jake and, and Van Riemsdyk were sitting in the room when Vigneault said this to us. And Jake was laughing right as Vigneault said this. So I went home and wrote the column and I was on a really tight deadline and I was sloppy. I was a little sloppy in it. And I, I, I intimated that Jake was definitely laughing at what Vigneault was saying about him. And I heard from the Flyers, and, and they said, look, Jake insists that he wasn't laughing at what Vigneault, at Vigneault's criticism. So I tweaked the column to, to reflect that, and I was very public about that. I told everybody who was reading the column on social media, hey, I've updated this column to just reflect this. I didn't know for certain that Jake was or wasn't laughing at Vigneault, but I wanted to allow for the possibility that he wasn't. So a year and a half later, I ask a question on a Zoom call after a game, and Jake, pardon my language, calls me a fucking weasel in, in full view of everybody, every Flyers fan who had watched the game on NBC sports, Philadelphia, and who had stayed in for the, uh, the post-game press conference. And so this blew up, uh, the New York post did a story about it. Every Flyers fan who doesn't, didn't like, wasn't inclined to like me already weighed in on Twitter and other places. And, um, it just became this big thing, but I was right. Like, that's the thing is that I was right. Uh, I knew what I was writing about. I knew that Elaine Vigneault wanted more out of Jake. I knew that previous Flyers coaches 
wanted more out of Jake Voracek, that he was this brilliant offensive player who didn't really bring it every single day in the way that these coaches wanted him to. And I knew that from being around the team. Um, and that's, that's what you kind of have to do, as you said, in a columnist position. And as far as the Flyers now, I mean, look, I've been, you know this, I've been banging this drum since I got into town that they never adjusted, even under Ed Snyder, they never adjusted to, a, to the salary cap. They, they, for too many years, went all in and tried to win the Stanley Cup this year, and they got caught in this vicious cycle of doing that and not building for the future. And they are still paying the price for that, and they're going to continue to pay the price for another few years because they don't have enough high-end talent in their system or on their roster to compete for a Stanley Cup. They just don't, and it's going to take a long time for them to gather it. It is amazing that they never recognize that. <laughs> but but Flyer fans are a completely different breed than any other fan base. We all know it. And I've just thrown up my hands and go, all right, whatever. If you're satisfied, you're satisfied. Yeah, look, Mike, I, I, you know, I normally wouldn't say this, but I do. I, I have to admit, I do feel a measure of validation over the way I've written about this team over time. Because what they're going to have to go through now and what John Tortorella in particular has said that they have to go through now is what I had said they had to go through five years ago, six years ago, and people thought I was a hater, and people said, oh, you don't understand how much talent is in this farm system and is on this team. Oh, really? Look at it now, because it's not there isn't enough talent, and they need to be bad, really bad, for a long period of time in order to, ga- in order to draft it and gather it. Yeah, it's it's kind of disgraceful. But anyway, we're talking to Mike CLC, a great columnist for Philip Inquirer. Mike, I want to wrap it up with this because, uh, and I don't know how much you'll, you'll want to engage in this, but uh, I, I you you always have the, the, a list in your head of the of the great people you've covered, and you can you can rattle them off. But I'm always interested in the in the ones that were most unpleasant for you to cover. Now, for me, there are two sta- that stand out, and I I stopped the list at two because these guys are just just one for the most miserable. And one was Rolly Massimino uh, back in the day. And the, and the other was Jim Fergosi. Uh, so uh, for various other reasons, and I could tell stories about both of them for, forever, but this, uh, who were the most unpleasant people for you to cover? You know, Mike, you know, we, we covered the Voracek situation, which it was unpleasant only in that moment and in the, the immediate aftermath, because Jake and I had gotten along pretty well up till that moment. Um, you know, I would say Chip Kelly only because he could be so standoffish all the time. But it's not like I had any kind of relationship with him where he disliked me or I disliked him. I don't, I, there really isn't anybody on that list because I don't take any of this kind of stuff personally. Um, where if somebody comes back at me, I presume it's because he doesn't like me um, or I don't like him or something like that. It, it, it really hasn't come up. I try to maintain a certain measure of distance from the people and the teams that I cover because I want to be able to write about them in a way a columnist should, critically. I'm not trying to cozy up to anybody. You know, I get along well with certain athletes and coaches, and that's fine and great, but I, I'm very upfront with them uh, about how, look, I'm going to have to be critical of you at times. Like I'll give you a good example. I had a really good relationship with Sam Henke. Okay. We got along really well while he was running the Sixers, but after Jaleel Okafor got arrested, uh, Thanksgiving night in Boston, that rookie year, I told Sam, you know, I I called him up to get a comment and he didn't want to comment. And I told him like, look, I'm going to be critical of how you and the organization handled the situation. And we went back and forth about it over the phone 
but I ended up writing what I believed. Um, and I think because I'm upfront about those kind of things that it, it makes it in some ways easier to deal with and kind of blunts whatever anger might come my way with the exception of Jay yeah, Borchak. That's a great way to handle it. And, uh, that was impossible for me to do with Rolly, by the way. I don't know if you've ever experienced with a cover covered him. It was just impossible for me to step back because he was so You got you got Rolly. I got Jay Wright. I mean, yeah. you know, talk yeah. about two opposite ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, all right, Mike, this is uh this has been fantastic. I appreciate you spending the time with us. Continued success in in the writing career or whatever comes your way. Looking forward to the new book. And, uh, and keep pumping it out because you may have to cover a Super Bowl. You may have to cover another World Series. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the Sixers. So I'm not feeling it. And, of course, the Flyers, you could take the season off. <laughs> I'm not feeling the Sixers either, man. We'll see what happens with, uh, with Nova now that uh, Cam Whitmore has entered the lineup, right? Yeah, we'll see what uh, happens. Mike, uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty. Thanks to Mike Sealski for spending some time with us. Very enlightening. I love talking to Mike. Um, and uh, again, it's not easy to be a columnist to come up with fresh ideas because people go, that's a hunk of crap. Uh, you try to make every column great. And sometimes you succeed and uh, sometimes you don't. But uh, you got to write what's in your heart. You, you have to be fearless. And I think he is. All right. Uh, this is the, the time on a Monday podcast uh, following an Eagles game where we go around the NFL and, and five thoughts that I had and uh, looking at uh, what happened in the NFL this weekend. So Let's start with number one, uh, the 49ers. Yeah, we talked about them a little earlier. The 49ers win 35-7 to over the Bucs. They're, they're, they're rolling right now, and they're rolling with a quarterback that uh, just uh, came out of nowhere. The last pick in the draft at Iowa State, Brock Purdy. He looks like he's got a little bit of poise. I don't want to get carried away because they try to make it simple for him. 60 for 21 for 185, two touchdowns, and he ran – for another TD, but that San Francisco defense, man, is really frightening. Now, Christian McCaffrey, the thief deal of the year. I, I don't know how this even happened. If this was baseball, the commissioner would have uh, would have overruled the trade. Uh, it was so one-sided. McCaffrey gives him 119 rushing yesterday and a touchdown, a 38-yard run he had, by the way. Uh, uh, Brady was 34 for 55, 253. It's a shame. It's a shame. He should have retired last year uh, to preserve that legacy. They're terrible. They still might get into the playoffs because of that direct conference. Uh, they're still atop the AFC South, the losing record, uh, by the way. Uh, but the 49ers are very formidable. And, and it'll be interesting to see if the Eagles have to play them. I'm guessing that would be the NFC title matchup. It would be at Lincoln Financial Field. I see the Eagles as a four-point favorite in that game, and it might be three and a half. I think it'll be really close. All right, that's thought number one. Now, thought number two, you know, Darren, sometimes I walk into uh, the casino or go to Bet Rivers, and I see a game that uh, I go, uh, this is hard to believe. In fact, I uh, made it one of my plays in the last podcast. The Lions were two-and-a-half-point favorite against the 10-2 and two Vikings. Uh, now, to me, that's easy money. That's Las Vegas handing me money. Now, I shouldn't even have had to bet it. Las Vegas should have mailed me the money. I took the Lions. Uh, they, they went out to a big lead. The Vikings came back a little bit. The Lions went 34-23. They covered the two-and-a-half. Jared Goff all of a sudden is playing like an all-pro. 
three touchdowns on the day, 27 for uh, 39 for 330 yards. He had a 41-yard touchdown to Jamison Williams. His first game playing in the NFL, the kid from Alabama ripped up his leg in a national title game, finally back, and a 48-yard TD to DJ Chark, who they paid $10 million for. All of a sudden, the Lions have won five of the last six, and they want to get the playoffs. I don't know if that's going to happen. The Vikings... Needed a win to clinch the division title. They're going to win it anyway, so no big deal. Cousins threw for 425 meaningless yards. But Justin Jefferson, good Lord, team record, 11 snags for 223 yards. That will continue to haunt the Eagles. I, I don't care. You, 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 look, you look at Devontae Smith. You look at A.J. Brown. I, I guess if you got uh, him at the time, you wouldn't have had a need for, for uh, one of those two guys that the Eagles have. So you can't look at it that way. But that dude is a baller. Um, Williams, by the way, was drafted 12th. They drafted him. They traded up to, to draft him, the Lions did, uh, even with that uh, knee injury. And uh, so he paid dividends right away. Okay. Detroit Lions. Nice job. Three. Let's go. I saved it for three because I don't want to put too much emphasis on it. The Dallas Cowboys survived the Texans. And if you're watching that game, you're going, God, the Texans just know how to lose. Uh, here they are uh, uh, with, with trying to put the game away. Right. I, Listen, I, I think it's stupid to do what they did, all right? If you kick a field goal there, you go up by six. Dallas still score a touchdown to win the game. They try to go for the kill shot and try to score, but they're trying to score with Jeff Driscoll. I mean, he's like the third-string quarterback. He's in the game, and um, they run. the It was a busted play, and he gets creamed, so they don't score. Dallas comes back with a 98-yard drive, and they win the game. Uh, and I got to give Dak Prescott uh, some credit on that drive. He was six for six or 79 yards on the final drive. That's clutch. And the Cowboys survive. Uh, uh, at no point at no point did I think Houston was going to win that game. Even when Dallas had to go 98 yards. I'm like, this game's over. Well, listen, you're, you're – I don't know. I, I guess you go for the kill shot because if you score a touchdown there – they can't possibly win the game, but but if you get if you get the three there, they have to score a touchdown. They wound up scoring a touchdown anyway, so maybe it's a moot point. Uh, I just thought that move was foolish. Anyway, uh, number four is is the who cares part of this this weekend. Um, a lot of results, and I couldn't give a, a flying f uh, about. Them. So let, let's start with the Jaguars beating the Titans. Both teams stink. The Titans have proven they stink. They proved two weeks ago that they stink. They can't beat the Jaguars. They beat them 100 times in a row. Jaguars go into Tennessee and win that game. The Jaguars stink, and you lose to them at home? Uh, that's a joke. Uh, here's another one. The Ravens, they bore me to death. They, they win by two points every game. They got quarterbacks coming off the street playing for them, and they survive against the Steelers 16-14. I don't care. The Chiefs, I don't care about that either. Uh, they're playing the Denver Broncos. They're up 100 to nothing. Uh, also, Russell Wilson gets hot. They got to get back in the game. They, they get within a touchdown, but Russell Wilson gets a concussion. Uh, they have to play with Mark Rippon's son in that game, and uh, the, the Chiefs survive. I don't care. Um, and also, the Panthers beat the Seahawks. Does anybody invest in that game? Could you, did you pull up the popcorn and, and, and nestle in for that, uh, that Carolina uh, Seahawks game? Seattle currently out of the NFC playoffs with that loss. Tampa Bay still in. Seattle's out. That's the way it rolls in the NFL playoff structure. And finally, uh, number five, uh, let, let's go with uh, the Bengals. Because um, I'm doing this for, uh, for Darren, producer Darren, because his BFF uh, is Joe Burrow. Uh, and they had an easy time uh, beating Cleveland. Even they had, they had lost to Cleveland five straight times. 
but they win. They, they look like they're, they're a formidable team now. They've won five straight. They've won nine of their last 11. They're tied for first place in the NFC North with the Ravens. They're better than the Ravens right now. Burrow, 18 for 33. Eh. 259 yards for Darren's BFF. Mixing back, rush for 96 yards. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Deshaun Watson, 26, 40 for 42, 226, and a touchdown in his second game back. So, yeah, I threw that in for you and your BFF. I appreciate it. I really do. He's, he is my guy, Joe Burrow. You'd love Joe Burrow. Uh, Big right Joe now, Burrow. You had to pick a league MVPs. It hurts a Burrow. Hurts. Well, it's a bolt lock. Jalen Hurts is a bolt lock for NFL MVP, unless he completely shits the bed against Dallas, because that's a national game, but I don't think he will. Uh, bolt lock. Look at Burrow you. number two, though, over Mahomes. Going, going against your boy Burrow. All right. Uh, so now let's look at the playoff picture. We update these every Monday when we talk football Mondays. Um Let's go with uh, the NFC first. Uh, the Eagles with the bye. It's right now seven Giants at two Minnesota. Giants 7-5-1. Minnesota's 10-3. So the seven goes to the two. That's the Giants at Minnesota. The sixth seed is the Washington Commanders at 7-5-1. They go to number three. San Francisco's is 9-4. There's no way that the Washington uh, Commanders are going to go to San Francisco and win in that playoff game as, if it stands. And, of course, the fifth seed is Dallas at 10-3 and three, at Tampa Bay, 6-7. and seven. There's no way Dallas loses at Tampa Bay. So if you're going to do the chalk, the first-round winners should be Minnesota, San Francisco, and Dallas, which means the lowest seed left that the Eagles will play would be the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas at Philadelphia in that first playoff game for the Eagles. Minnesota would host San Francisco. So the 49ers would have to go on the road to beat Minnesota to get to that NFC title game. We'll see how that plays out. The AFC playoffs, as it stands right now, there was one change. Buffalo is still the number one seed at 10-3. and three. The number seven seed is now the Chargers, which won last night over Miami. The Chargers at seven six are the seven seed. They would go to the number two seed, Kansas City, at ten and three. The six seed, Miami, at eight and four, would go to number three, Baltimore, at nine and four. I think Miami's better. It'll be tough to win in Baltimore. Uh, and then the Cincinnati Bengals, the fifth seed at nine and four, would go to the fourth seed, Tennessee. My projections there: the winners would be Kansas City. Miami and Cincinnati, which would set up Buffalo hosting a Miami in the first game and Kansas City hosting Cincinnati. Can the Chiefs win finally against the Bengals? Uh, I love the way things set up like that. So that is our NFC, NF, uh, AFC playoff picture as it stands right now. And again, we will update that as the scores come in each weekend with only a few games left. All right, I think it's time for uh, three questions for Mike. Uh, Darren, with three questions for Mike. Big three, question, big three questions today. Really fun stuff. I had first question today, three questions for Mikey Miss. First question, yesterday I had a house full of people. I had like I had 10 kids between the ages of 2 and 13. I had about another 20, I don't know, 25 adults here for brunch for my mother-in-law, birthday brunch, and they all stayed for the game. I had a lot of people in my house. We just had the kitchen redone, all that good stuff. So um, are you a brunch guy? Yeah, big brunch. I like brunch. I don't eat eggs, though, but, I, but I'm a big brunch guy. I like the, I like the brunch scene, and I like the, the variety of uh, half lunch, some dinner things, and breakfast. I, I'm not a brunch guy at all. <laughs> no. How could you not be a brunch guy? What are you, a communist? 
The brunch is so American. It's like ridiculous. All right, go, go ahead. Tell me why. I like. I I just I don't I like I like breakfast and I go lunch. I, no brunch. Uh, that's weird. But, <laughs> and I certainly don't like forty people in my house. I want my dad by the end of the day. I'm like, get the fuck out. Forty's <laughs> a lot, man. I, there's no way I can entertain forty people. But all right, so it was probably more like thirty. When I'm doing, I'm doing the math now. It's probably more like thirty. But still, all right. Well, what's the what's the question? All right, that was your question. Do you, are you a brunch guy? Oh, oh, that's it. Yeah, do you are you brunch because you're either people are either brunch guy or not a brunch guy. Well. A brunch buffet is one of the top things. Like you go to a brunch buffet, you know, it's costly. I get it. You get your pancakes, you get your sausage, you get your, your omelets, you got your oatmeal, but also you got your lunch entree. You get a little steamed chicken or a beef entree, and there's nothing wrong with brunch. I love it. Uh, bottomless coffee, the whole bit. I could sit there and enjoy brunch. Love it. I will say this. I, I enjoyed My wife made like a like a sausage, egg, and cheese kind of casserole, and I ate that mm. uh, constantly throughout the day. Oh, All right. That's, nice. that's question number one. Question number two, while everyone was over my home yesterday, a heated discussion broke out. Would, what was a better season? Wentz in 2017 or Jalen Hurts' current season up to this point? Jalen Hurts. Is it? You think it's that cut and dry? I, I really. I, I, listen, the, 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 the versatility that he has, he's, he's more unstoppable than Wentz. Uh, he, you know, the, the the legs make him more unstoppable. The fact that he's been accurate on throws make him unstoppable. He he hasn't he hasn't made mistakes at all. Uh, so there's no question in my mind that this is uh, uh that he as is having a better season right now. He's he's an MVP. I know Wentz was was on his way to an MVP that year. I get it, but I think the legs make such a difference in today's NFL. So I would go with Hurts. I I couldn't really come up. It was really hard for me because I mean Wentz. You got to remember he was spectacular that year. I mean they put 58 on the board against Chicago, 53 I think against Denver. There's another dimension to this guy's game that in this NFL projects better than what Wentz did. That's my feeling. All right, there you go. That's number two. Question number three: What's the worst? You played. You know, you were an athlete growing up. Played baseball, Penn State. What's the worst sports injury you've ever had? <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I had arm problems in college because Penn State is so damn cold that when you're throwing in that kind of cold, you get tendonitis unbearably i had my elbow on my shoulder constantly so i had the ice sit there everything uh but my injuries <laughs> my injuries actually came when i started getting a little older and still playing baseball like i thought i thought i was in my 20s so uh I, i've had um <laughs> i had two shoulder surgeries because in these age group leagues i still had had a decent hose and I turn into a pitcher in these leagues. So I'd be pitching in these leagues. I'm throwing sliders and I'm throwing, you know, I, I, I could get up pretty good. Uh, I had a, a, a torn labrum and a frayed rotator cuff injury, which was brutal in the rehab. Uh, I have had a, a, a meniscus surgery. And then the worst of it all was uh, when I was playing in an over 50 league, like an idiot. Uh, we, we play an 18-inning doubleheader uh, late in the season in the playoffs on a Sunday. I woke up Monday, and my, I, my left leg touches the ground coming out of bed, and I collapsed because I had my, my, the, the pain it was in my leg. I, couldn't, I had to walk with my back slanted to create some kind of a gap in my spine so I could actually walk without pain. That turned out to be a major back surgery 
where I had to have a 3.5 centimeter chunk of disc removed from my back. And, and, that, <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing about a back injury because the incisions in the back, it's wonderful what they could do. The incisions are real tiny. They'd go in there, clip the thing. Uh, but you have to lay on your back. So you're laying on the incision the whole time. You can't like lay on your belly. So you're constantly laying on that incision. Uh, and that was the worst injury I've ever had. But I have nobody to blame but myself. And, of course, recently, playing basketball, I tore tendon in my foot. So these all happen later in my life. <laughs> I hear you. I'm, uh, I'm getting up there, too. I, have, I currently have two, both my shoulders, the labrum is torn in both of them. Yeah. And it's some days it's really painful. I've had both my ACLs replaced. I tore one playing football, another one playing skiing, another another one skiing. Right MCL rip, torn, no cartilage left in my left knee. So I get it, man. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had five surgeries. The first surgery I ever had was a finger surgery, and that's been playing in a basketball league where I went up and I tried to poke a rebound loose on a missed free throw, and my my finger went to a forty five degree angle. I dislocated the knuckle. The official who said he was a trainer popped it back in, but when he did that, it chipped a bone in my knuckle. I'd have hand surgery with pins put in. So that was a six-week injury. <laughs> two, two on the shoulder, the back. I had a meniscus surgery in my knee. I'm a walking wreck, dude. And the older you get, arthritis sets in. It's ridiculous. Yeah, my doctor has looked at so many scans and said, you got a lot of arthritis. Yeah, it's amazing I'm still upright, to be honest with you. All right, that's uh, three questions. For Mikey Miss, that, uh, now let me give you my parting shot as we get into the goodbyes here. Uh, my parting shot is, uh, you know, it, sometimes I have observations on life that stick with me. So yesterday I am um, doing uh, the post game show for uh, Jacob Media, and uh, so I, I roll into the bathroom to uh, do a little tinkle before the show, and, and uh, somebody's at the urinal, so I had to go into the stall. What do I see on the stall? but droplets of urine on the toilet seat. Now, I, I, I don't know how, how some people were raised. Is it too much freaking trouble for you to lift the toilet seat and pee into the bowl? Seriously, I don't get people. What, like, what do you think you're doing? You, don't you think other people want to come in there? Do you think it's fun that some guy would sit on droplets of pee on the toilet seat? Now, if you're afraid to touch the toilet seat because you don't want germs, get some toilet paper. And, and then use that to lift the toilet seat. Have some courtesy for other people. It's one of the, the most heinous things I've ever seen. You're a pig. You're a slob. You have no cooth. If you're lazy enough that you're going to just pee into the bowl with the toilet seat covering the bowl in a public toilet. It infuriates me. And I swear to God, I want to find that guy and I want to shoot him. That's how uh, egregious I think that violation is. Your thoughts, Darren? I agree with you. But don't say tinkle again. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I, you, well my God, I, I, you know what I'm saying. I had tinkle. I'm trying to be nice so it's a family audience. I've only, I've, I've only said the F word 17 times in this podcast, so I'm trying to give people a break here. Please, people, have a little cooth. It, what, what kind of energy does it take to lift a toilet seat? You're going to leave droplets of pee on there like I'm not going to see it when I walk in? It's like seeing puddles on a toilet seat. Some people were raised by wolves. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All right, let's close down this podcast, this Monday podcast. I'm off to Cali for a couple of days, Darren. I'm going to play golf in Newport Beach. 
I've been to Newport, spent some time in Newport. It is one around the PCH right there. It is gorgeous. Love that area. Uh, I'm leaving today. So I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to the podcast today. Again, uh, the podcast is very easy to get. It's the Mike Masnelli podcast, uh, and uh, you, you can get it on any podcast network you have, Apple iTunes, uh, uh, Spotify, Amazon, Google. The best thing is to subscribe to the podcast, and you'll get it automatically. Uh, uh, so also, uh, I had a book signing on Saturday. I want to thank all the wonderful people. I, I've sold out of books. I ran out of books for my book, uh, children's book. Uh, the Adventures of Shima the Sheba. I think it's a great Christmas present. You can read it to your kids. The kids just learning to read can read it. It's my dog narrating it, but it's really my head through my dog's head and, and narrating it. We were at the Barnes and Noble last week at the Neshaminy Mall, my old stomping grounds. So I want to thank all the people that came out. Some wonderful people came out. You can actually get the book, uh, barnesandnoble.com, uh, amazon.com. Easiest way to get it, just go to my website. My website is mikemiss.com. And, and there's a link on there where you could just purchase the book right on my website. Again, mikemiss.com. You can also email me, uh, mike at mikemiss.com. Very easy uh, to email me. And I love hearing from people. Uh, also, uh, don't forget that uh, I'm part owner of a winery now, and I'm very proud of it. It's called Natali Vineyards. In fact, I was just there uh, Sunday, yesterday, picking up some wine for myself for some Christmas gifts. Great special. So if you buy a case of wine, you get 15% off. If you buy six to 11 bottles, you get 10% off. Darren, I'm going to be gifting you some wine over to Christmas holidays. And we're making some really good wine out there. And to find out about all the wines, you can go to natalievineyards.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I or my website. You go to MikeMiss.com. I've got a, a little uh, uh, story on there about the winery and all the wines that we have, all the varieties of wine, the reds and whites and all that kind of stuff. So stock up uh, for the holidays. All right. I think that's about it. You can get me on Twitter, uh, MikeMiss25. Again, email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. Uh, did I miss anything, D? Uh, two things. One, I-, I think it's clear I won the Reed Blankenship argument. And two... Uh, remember, just ask your smart speaker to download the Mike Missinelli podcast and don't forget to subscribe, please. Yuri Bankership to shame he's out for the year. I know. He, played, he was playing he played so good. Two good games. Uh, all right, everybody, have a great rest of the evening. Have a great week. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be coming at you again. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. It's, it's uh, ranked nationally now. Thanks to all our listeners out there. So hope everybody's having fun uh, listening to our podcast. Have a great day. We'll talk to you then. We'll see you. That's Mike Miss. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.